Hello and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer-engineer. Dr. Todd Chambers is also host, but not with us today. Ms. Lindsay Coronado, one of our undergraduate majors, is our researcher. And I'm David D. Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college, and the originator and sometimes host of Tops 10. Today I have with me a good friend and special guest, one of my fellow deans here at Texas Tech, Carol Edwards. Hello, Carol. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. And I notice, Carol, you are wearing all black. I am. It, it, is that required in your college since everybody's sort of artsy over there? In fact, I, I, faculty meetings, everybody's wearing, you know, black sweaters. and. I think. And black. then you can dress up or dress down as needed. By wearing a, like a black scarf or not wearing a black oh, scarf? Is that dressing or up or down? Wear, no, wearing a silver scarf. Oh, my God. That would be dressing up. Is that avant-garde? Too? Absolutely. Oh, wow. All right. What about blue? No, blue's out. Okay. I, 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 will you send us memos on this? Because I, I don't really know unless <laughs> you tell will. us what fashion means on this campus <laughs> I will. in Lubbock. <laughs> I will. Does Lubbock have a fashion week? Um, no, but Lubbock often, uh, particularly during football season, wears a lot of cowboy boots. And so you'll see mini skirts or short shorts with cowboy boots and a lot of fringy-like stuff. So there, there is definitely a dress type of code. I don't know that it's... I don't think I want to do that. No, no. Okay, we agree on that. <laughs> Carol is Dean for the College of Visual and Performing Arts at Texas Tech University. Previously, Dr. Edwards served as Dean of Western Washington University's College of Fine and Performing Arts. So here they're visual, but there they're fine. Mm. Why were they fine? But you, you, you went from <laughs> fine to visual? Well, you know, it's hard to name a college. It's, this college was named not too many years ago. The name was changed. Uh, and so there's a lot of debate about what the fine arts actually encapsulate versus visual and performing arts. So I, I, I don't know. All right. Well, you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll illuminate the debate, I'm sure. Absolutely. She earned her doctorate in art education from Florida State University, a master's degree from the University of Alabama, and a bachelor of fine arts from Mississippi University for Women. Dr. Edwards is a professor of art education and has taught art education and art theory criticism courses in collaboration with the High Museum of Art in Atlanta, next to the Medium yes. Museum. Okay. Yeah. Dr. Edwards published Rings, Five Passions in World Art, a multicultural curriculum handbook distributed by Crystal Productions. Dr. Edwards was awarded a fellowship to attend the National Endowment for the Humanities Summer Institute at the East-West Center at the University of Hawaii, where she studied South Asian culture and civilization. As a result of her interest and knowledge of South Asian cultures, she received the Chancellor's Award to travel and study in India. You've been a recipient of numerous awards, the Georgia Women in the Visual Arts Award, the Kennesaw State University's Distinguished Teaching Award, the Georgia Board of Regents Teaching Excellence Award, Georgia Art Education Educator of the Year in Higher Education Award, and the Innovative Excellence in Teaching, Learning, and Technology Award. Her memberships include Phi Kappa Phi National Honor Society, the International Council of Fine Arts Deans, and the National Art Education Association. By the way, you were also nominated for the Nobel Prize. And <laughs> I you, sound you know, important. Yeah, you know how I know that. Um, I read years ago that the Nobel Committee keeps secret 
who has been nominated. Mm. So that means anybody can put on their resume or CV that they've been nominated for the Nobel Prize. So I've oh. added it to mine because right. I nominated you and myself. Okay, that so just, I think you should add it from now on. I do too. That's I, right. I That's absolutely right. do. Carol, you're an art educator. Right. Why do we need to educate people besides artists about art? Well, I think that art, um, particularly for because I'm mainly teaching, you know, um, children in uh, schools as well as universities, um, I think that for people, art is really the soul of what drives human creativity and that kind of interaction that exists between individuals, between cultures. Um, it is the carrier of culture across um, all, all decades and, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, so I think that uh, for me, that's what being an art educator means. Um, uh, helping people understand the importance of culture and the importance of the arts, whether it's visual or performing arts in their lives. One of my first research projects, which led to a book on the history of the visualization of warfare, I looked at the cave paintings mm -hmm. from the, you know, Let's what, go. Yeah, yeah, like the, the what it was, what's called the Franco-Cantabrian region, the France, Spain, all these amazing caves. And what was really striking about these paintings is how astonishingly beautiful they are. I mean, they, they may very well have served a very practical purpose, sort of rehearsing for the hunt or recording, you know, I killed this mammoth, everybody, so vote for me for clan leader or something right. like that. But they're beautiful. Right. And, and they, were, they were painted by people. We don't know who they, exactly they were, but they were, they were an anatomically modern humans, Cro-Magnons, and they had... Uh, Whack, they had the fat lamps that gave off like a, a whopping one watt or two watts, and they made them by spitting through sticks and some other technologies. And they're astonishing, but there's no evidence of practice. They just suddenly appear magnificently beautiful. So the, the, the first time anatomically humans show up in Europe, they immediately start painting beautiful paintings. Absolutely. It's got to be significant. It is, because they could have communicated just with, you know, whatever kind of figure they, they chose to communicate with, but they chose to embellish those uh, images rather than just, it's not just communication. Some people say it's to uh, tell other people that there's certain types of animals that can be hunted in that area. I, I, I don't really agree with that. I think it's more about... Uh, human wanting to embellish in some way, beautify um, their environment. And I think those cave paintings show that. Yeah, the embellishment part is interesting because there, there's some argument among the researchers in the field that the first visual medium was the human body itself. In other words, they worked their way up from tattoos to then painting on, on cave walls. So, I, I, of course, we don't find a lot of skin <laughs> uh, of, uh, you know, 200,000 or 50,000-year-old people, but um, uh, they were probably, there's just a, a human instinct to decorate. Absolutely, and if you notice in some of those uh, caves, there's the human hand that they then spit out or sprayed some sort of pigment around it. That's one of the first things that young children do. They learn how to draw the outline of their hand. Um, it's a very human thing, and it's a very personal thing so that imprint left there is a very personal thing for that um that artist that person who left that it's a form of signature absolutely right. now carol you are a southern girl mississippi university <laughs> for women where did you grow up i grew up in niagara falls new york 
my uh, family's Canadian. You were kidnapped by Yankees <laughs> I was. during the war. I wasn't. No. Um, my family's Canadian, and my mother's a naturalized citizen. She moved across the border from uh, at, at Niagara Falls, uh, from Niagara Falls, Ontario, to Niagara Falls, New York, during World War II, when it was too difficult to go back and forth across there. She worked, and my grandfather worked in Niagara Falls, New York, uh, the New York Central Railroad. So it just became very easy for them to um, move across the border rather than go back and forth. It's a matter of mere miles. Uh, you could see from one side of Niagara Falls, New York, to the other side. Um, so uh, during uh, the civil rights movement, um, my mother, my dad died when I was young, and my mother remarried, and we moved to Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, it was a very different environment for me. A huge change uh, from growing up and going through middle school um, in Niagara Falls, New York, to being in Columbus, Mississippi in high school. And so would you say you're a, you're a Southerner by by cultural by the inclination? Grace of God, okay. As they say, by the grace <laughs> yes. of God, I'm a Southerner. Yeah. I, what I would say is that I have very strong roots still in Canada. I, almost all of my relatives still live there, and I visit there on a regular basis, um, at least once a year. Uh, what I identify with is uh, being a Southerner. And that didn't just happen. That came about by um, really uh, understanding a sense of place within my life. And within my very young life, that was f I was 14. And, uh, wow, that is it's a, a striking time to make is. a big cultural switch like that. And, you know, you're moving into ninth grade, you're moving into high school. What was the difference between Niagara boys and Mississippi boys? I think Mississippi boys were, uh, they certainly were more overt in their liking of women, of girls. Um, you could tell. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if it was the fact that everybody, seemed like everybody in the South uh, drove a vehicle at a very early age. And in New York, they didn't. I mean, I didn't know anybody that ever had a vehicle. Um, but when we moved to Mississippi, the driving force was to have a car. And I think when you have a car, you have wheels, you can get out and, you know, um, form relationships. Now, speaking of wheels in the South, your first song that you listed was probably the all-time classic Southern song, Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner, the classic Southern band. Now, I loved uh, Leonard Skinner when I was growing up in uh, Philadelphia, um, um, when I came here to this country at nine, and I remember that, like a lot of times, I couldn't understand the lyrics that well, and mm -hmm. of course, this is pre-internet, so you didn't, unless you went physically and bought a copy of a lyric sheet from a music store. You, you just never saw lyrics printed. So I never completely understood the song. It was only like 20 years later that I realized this was a song extolling the virtues of the South, but also attacking Neil Young for saying derogatory things in his song, Southern Man. Right. So tell us about Sweet Home Alabama and well, for, for me, Sweet Home Alabama has, has been on my, my playlist forever. Uh, it does encapsulate for me the idea of what, it, what a place is about for Southerners. Um, I think that it's probably pretty common for Southerners to be attacked by people outside of the South. They see them as rednecks and uh, barefoot and marrying their cousins. And there's all those... I want to point out... Dean Edwards is wearing shoes. I am. I okay. Am. I am. Just and I did not marry my cousin. Oh. <laughs> 
But your first cousin? Not my first cousin, right? Okay. Not a cousin at all. Okay. But I do think that um, there is a stereotype that exists, and uh, Southerners are well aware that that stereotype exists. But for me, what it did was allow me a sense of of place and time. And um, one of the things that I realized when I was asked to do this was uh, a lot of my top picks have to do with time and place, uh, which I would not have thought of until I was uh, sat down and actually wrote down a list of what my top picks were. Uh, so Sweet Home Alabama, the title alone, um, identifies a place. And then the lyrics identify a particular place in time. Um, it mentions uh, George Wallace, um, who was, you know, in, in Alabama was a, a, a negative force, uh, often, a, often attacked and rightly so by people outside of the South. I, I do think that toward the end of his life, there was a, a coming around to understanding of the the wrongness of the stance that not only he took, but that many times the South took. Um, and so I, I, for me, that song says a lot. Um, and I actually didn't know that it was against Neil Young, but, but, I, but I can understand that and, and see. Um, I, I know those words are in there. And you're right, um, if, if you... Sometimes you sing along words and you just don't really even realize what those words mean. talking about stereotypes of the South, I guess when when you realize that people are stereotyping, of course, everybody belongs to some group that is stereotyped by somebody else or yes. maybe wider society. You can react a couple of ways. You can deny the stereotype. You can uh, take offense at it. Or you can be playful with it. And it occurs to me that, that in this song, you know, Leonard Skinner is saying, yeah, well, you know, we're sort of proud of who we are. And, and look what we've done. They mentioned Muscle Shoals and right. fantastic music scene there and sort of proud of some of the achievements of Southern artists and, and something there. In, in, your, um, in your career, um, looking at art education, have you noticed within certain regions of the country that, that art means something different to people? You said about place. Well, does art mean something different in, say, Mississippi than in New York? I, I think that it does. Uh, I think that regions of the country, uh, if you look at the, the type of art that's created there, many times it could be identified with folk artists, um, which often people call untrained artists. And um, I think that besides the visual arts, uh, the other art forms, um, creative writing, 
the South uh, is was many of the great creative writers came out of the South. Um, songs, music writers, yes, Muscle Shoals, other places. I know that Old Miss was a um, kind of a hotbed for writers. You know, they have Faulkner's work there. Um, so I, I think that for the arts, absolutely it is. It's the same thing in, in Lubbock. We have West Texas music. We have other types of music also. Um, but I, I do think that there are there's a growth of of a type of art that can be identified with each region. I think somewhere like New York City becomes a melting pot for all of it. Your, the second song that you listed for us was The City of New Orleans, written by Arlo Guthrie, the famous son of the even more famous Woody Guthrie, um, probably most known in the cover version uh, by Willie Nelson, and we're going to hear uh, one version of it now. City of New Orleans, again, about a particular place and time, a train a train full of people going through the South, seeing little vignettes, you know, I think was a description of uh, uh, older African-American men sitting outside a store or something, a couple of, a couple of those. Is that, that that sceneries of place and time that, that means a lot to you in this song? Absolutely it is. And in this particular song, it's also that kind of rocking rhythm of the train moving along, and you can hear it over and over again in the, in the refrain. Um, and and it, it does it 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 tracks the travel of that train from um, all the way up in the um, Midwest down um, into New Orleans, and if you close your eyes and think about the words, you can imagine um, each one of those little vignettes as as it whips by the window. Riding on the city of New Orleans, Illinois Central. Monday morning rail Fifteen cars and fifteen restless riders Three conductors Twenty-five sacks of mail All along the southbound Odyssey The train pulls out at Kankakee And rolls along past houses, farms and fields trains that have no name freight yards full of old black men and the graveyards of the rusted automobiles good morning america how are you said don't you know me i'm your native son i'm the train they call the city of new orleans in this CGI era we are today, where everything that a filmmaker can imagine, they can actually make literally ha- actually happen on screen. Some of the, I guess, the freedom of thought, of imagination, of dreaming of individuals and of audiences is, is lost when everything is made real. It reminds me of when I saw Jaws. And when I read the book Jaws, the book Jaws made the animal, the shark, much more terrifying than the movie ever did. The movie was terrifying enough. It kept people out of the water for many, many summers. But for me, the ability to be able to read the word and then 
turn that into images in my mind um, were far more terrifying than what a, a film producer could create on screen. So I, I agree. I think that um, particularly in today's world where uh, kids are glued to either the television and not so much the television anymore, but the Internet, um, music does play a big part in that. But I also have to wonder about um, what those lyrics in today's songs, what kind of images that those are painting uh, in, in the kids' heads. Now, when we last left you, you were 14, new from the north in Mississippi. Right. And uh, you noticed cars, yes. boys. Yes. What happened next? <laughs> um, I, I had a very difficult time uh, adjusting because I was a new kid on the block, and I had a northern they, accent. Yeah, they, I was going to ask, you know, did, yeah. immediately did they? They did. And uh, the, the, the town of Columbus, Mississippi also has Columbus Air Force Base, so everybody automatically assumed I was an Air Force Base brat, um, which I was not. My my um, stepfather worked for a chemical company, and that's why we moved to Mississippi. But um, so, yeah, I was very much on the outside. My mother said she felt very sorry for me when I went to school because I had nobody to sit with at lunch. All the girls had formed their cliques, and high school girls, middle school and high school girls, are absolutely the worst for forming cliques. And, you know, then you become an outsider. So my clique became the kind of the nerdy, brainy people, which I never really thought myself as brainy. I just, those were the people that were accepting of me. Um, you know, one grew up to become a, a brain doctor. Um, so, and, the, and then when I look back at the cliques, the, I didn't fit into them then, and I may not fit into them now. Did you know that when you entered college that you were interested in the arts? I didn't. And I have told this to other students who um, often are discouraged. Um, when you make a decision to go into the arts, you actually are putting yourself out for criticism on a regular basis. That's the nature of the arts. Um, it's peer-reviewed all the time, uh, all the way from your professors, your teachers, um, to the public, uh, to art critics. So um, I, I didn't. I actually had a high school English teacher who thought everything that I wrote was wonderful. And I found out when I got in college and my freshman comp teacher that it wasn't wonderful. And I barely scraped out of freshman comp. So I decided that I, what was I gonna do for a major? I thought I'd go over the art department and see what was happening over there. And that's where I found my home. I found my calling. Um, I can honestly say that uh, for me, there are people who are born with a gift to, um, uh, of perspective, of being able to see in some way. Um, I think there are people that are born that way. But I also think that you can be trained to see uh, so that you can render objects if, if that's important. Um, and you, you can learn about the arts, uh, elements and principles of design, just like any other subject. Um, and, and so for me, no, I took one high school art course. It was ceramics, and we... Uh, we poured molds and, you know, took them apart and cleaned them up and painted these little tchotchkes. Now, the next song that you listed for us is James Taylor, Carolina. 
on my mind? Is it in, on, no, it's in, in my mind. In my mind. You know, that's another example. I've, yeah. I've heard it as Carolina on my mind nope. <laughs> my whole life. And I was looking at this, mm, typo? Or, nope. That. So another part of the mm-hmm. South. You're ranging all over here. I know. am. Uh, and, and for this particular song, um, it, it reminds me of um, committing to the memory, all the sights and sounds and smells of special summers that, that I appreciated um, when I was growing up in Ontario. And I made a conscious decision, which I didn't know at that time was some sort of relaxation techniques, but I made a constant, con- conscious decision one summer before I left to move to Mississippi that I would remember one day in particular. And um, I swam out to the dock um, at the lake where my family had a cottage, and I laid on the dock almost all afternoon. And I could remember the the feeling of the sun on on my skin, and I could smell the pine trees that were just off the shoreline. Um, I could hear the lapping of the waves on the dock, and I could feel the motion of the dock just very gently rocking. And I said to myself, I will always, always remember this moment, because I felt like I was being kind of ripped away from all that I knew and um, being thrown into an environment that I had no idea um, what I was going to be, you know, challenged with. So I, I said to myself that this was what I would always remember. And Carolina in my mind reminds me of, of that. And, and that's why I particularly selected that, that song. In my mind I'm gone, Carolina. Can't you see the sunshine? Well, can't you just feel the moonshine? And ain't it just like a friend of mine to get me from behind? Yes, I'm gone to Carolina in the mine. Karen, she's a silver sun. You best walk away and watch it shine. Watch her watch the morning come. Hey, babe, a silver tear appearing Now I'm crying, ain't I? I'm gone to Carolina in the mine There ain't no doubt in no one's mind But love's the finest thing around Whisper something soft and kind Hey, babe, the sky's on fire I'm dying, ain't I? I gone to Carolina in my mind In my mind I'm gone to Carolina Can't you see the sunshine Or can't you just feel the moonshine And ain't it just like a friend of mine To hit me from behind Yes, I'm gone to Carolina in my mind your next song is Jackson Brown running on empty. Now that's a song. Well, I guess I didn't think necessarily of a, of a time or time or place, but of a mood. Uh, and artists have another reputation is that as they are not necessarily the most fun people to yes. be around. In fact, uh, artists tend to have very unhappy. I mean, am I am I? Is this a stereotype that's that maybe have a kernel of truth or more than the kernel is that? You don't want to be married to a great artist. You don't. You want to be like the daughter of a great artist. Yeah, that, that 
that's probably very true um, for for many artists. I think that being an artist, being a musician, being a performer, um, being an artistic type is uh, can be a very selfish lifestyle. Because if you are going to be at the top of your game, if you're going to be at the top of that heap, in some way, other things have to fall to the wayside. I think it would be a very rare person who could make it to the top of the heap and still have formed and kept all the relationships with all the people. And isn't it all about relationships? That's the important thing in life. And so I do think that being an artist uh, can often be a very selfish environment to be in. However, I'll say this, I think being an artist educator is a very giving type of um, of career of position uh, because you have to share that information with others. It's it's not as as selfish an act as as the act of creating. This is something, I guess, that has a lot of relevance to, to art education. I heard it through the grapevine by Credence Clearwater Revival. Now, the last time we left you, you were uh, in college, Mississippi College for Women. Right. The state, state College for Women. Mm-hmm. And you were starting to be interested in, in the arts yes. and art education. Now, you, you thought you were going to be a great artist, but then you drifted towards education about right. the arts. Now, what made you pursue it past teacher? I mean, you could have been a wonderful, the beloved Ms. Ms. Edwards or whatever your name would be, art teacher in a small town or in in Starkville or whatever, and and been very fine there. What pushed you to go beyond that and get your doctorate and and now you know be a university teacher and a dean? It, it was an interesting path, and I, I was that um, I was Mrs. Moody at that time. Um, I was the art teacher, and I was art on a cart in some of the schools, and I ended up in middle school teaching, and I did that, and and loved it and hated it at the same time. Um, it didn't allow for much of my own creativity, and um, I married, and my um, my husband had said you know why don't you 
uh, think about an advanced degree. You know, you, it appears that you might be ready for that. So I did. I looked at the University of Alabama and liked what I saw and really liked the people there. And next thing I knew, I was in their master's program and began then to be a, a teaching assistant. And the first day that I walked into a higher education classroom, I knew that's where I belonged. And so from from there, um, my career just led down the path. And of course, you know, if you have a master's degree in an education field, the PhD is a terminal degree, you have to pursue that. So after several years of teaching, I taught for three years uh, as a non-tenured tract instructor at the University of Alabama. Loved it, loved that university, loved the environment. I um, went to Florida State and worked on my PhD and finished there. Uh, went to Kennesaw State in Georgia, and it was at Kennesaw State that I began to understand that I did have wonderful teaching skills. Obviously, I you know received statewide awards uh, for my teaching. I had wonderful students. What I did realize is that perhaps I also had other skills that began to move me into administration, and that as much as I love being in the classroom, and that's where my heart and soul is, that I could probably touch many more students and assist in ways that I couldn't as being in the classroom, that if I broadened into administration. I don't think anybody, you you might disagree, David, but I don't think anybody ever sets out to be a college dean, and if anybody ever told me that, I'd be suspect of their motives. next song is Calypso by John Denver and actually I'd like to, to listen to our clip first and because there's a question I want to draw from it but it would be good if uh, people haven't heard it to do so so Calypso by John Denver
on a crystal clear ocean to ride on the crest of a wild raging storm to work in the service of life and the living in search of the answers to questions unknown to be part of the movement part of the growing part of beginning to understand by Calypso the places you've been to the things that you've shown us the stories you tell by Calypso I sing to your spirit the men who have served you so long and so well I It's a beautiful song, it is. and it's about, uh, this is f- generational, I think some of our mm-hmm. younger listeners, Jacques Cousteau <laughs> and his ship Calypso, right. was, which was named after a, a, a sea nymph, a sea goddess from uh, the, the, the Odyssey uh, of Homer, a lot of uh, wonderful allusions there, and he's talking about sailing through the ocean and just the sheer joy of the song, about the, just the sheer happiness. And one thing that's always struck me, and, and Carol, I, you, you really have a reputation for your faculty, your students, and other people around campus as being a very sharp person, but you're, you're pretty much happy. I mean, it gets, see, whatever challenge you're facing, you're a happy warrior. They used to you know, describe uh, Hubert Humphrey uh, that way. I don't know if you want to be 
<laughs> Maybe not visually, but but right. you know, temperamentally. Are you a happy warrior? Is Calypso a song of you know that? Hey, whatever obstacles come along, I'm going to just overcome them. Absolutely. I've often said that I am. Uh, I can wake up in the morning and be Pollyanna, and that not in the negative sense of Pollyanna being a scatterbrain, but being a cheerful individual. So Pollyanna, you know, is that for me. And, and sometimes at night I can go to bed as a curmudgeon, um, but I always wake up as Pollyanna the next morning. I, I'm always, almost always cheerful. Rarely am I ever down. And you're right, the song Calypso, uh, you you can hear the, the bell in there that's part of the music. Um, you can almost hear the swish of the boat going through the water it's uplifting it's um the 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 lyrics are the song is the music is uh denver's voice is uplifting it's one of those songs that you can plug in um that just makes you feel good um and it's it to me it's like a freeing of the spirit so that's what calypso means to me it's it's the ability to um be out on that wide open sea and ocean and just your spirit just soar um and that kind of freedom that sometimes doesn't occur when you're attached to the ground today as we've talked about the arts i'm an optimistic person so i I maybe i don't want to be overwrought here and describe the arts as under attack but there really is a, a central paradigm of universities which is being challenged and i think in some ways it's not a terrible thing you know, for, for 50 years after Sputnik, say, at universities, we basically said, here, state, support us, and here, parents, give us your kids and some tuition and trust us. And I don't think ever, any business should ever be just trust us, you know, like doc, doctors, lawyers. You know, nobody should be able to just say, just trust us and, and don't worry about it. So we are being asked some very tough questions. And I see that in parents, even very polite Midwestern parents that I'm used to or polite Southern parents, if, not, if they aren't saying with words, they're certainly saying with, with implication of their eyes and their, their, some, of the, some of the questions they ask. They're saying, you know, if I give you my daughter for four years, five years, four years, and tuition is she going to be in my basement at the end of that time, unemployed? And I think that's a question you must get a lot. In fact, I, I, I know for a fact that there must be parents, certainly their parents when they hear the word journalism, which I think is incorrect because actually there's more jobs for young people than ever now in journalism. But they must certainly say if their daughter says, you know, I want to be a painter, a lot of parents, maybe even par- if parents are artists themselves, are shaking their head and going, no, 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 honey, you, you, you can't be, be serious. Do you have those kind of conversations, and what do you say to parents? Absolutely. We have, I have those conversations quite a bit with parents and have over the course of my career. So it's always been um, kind of educating others to what the possibilities of a career in the arts are. I hate to use the word career um, because I don't think we're training students for a career i think we're educating a mind and that that mind then goes out and finds careers that at the beginning when they enter uh, higher education when they enter the major we don't we don't really even know what jobs are going to exist five years from now so what we're what we're doing is we're we're educating a mind for a job that doesn't even exist um that's hard for parents to get their their mind around your next song is uh, Take It Easy by the Eagles. I guess even more than uh, Calypso, it's a song about sort of relaxation and, and thinking and, 
and sort of going beyond the, I guess, the scrabble of, of everyday life. Do you listen to music during your day? What is that? Is that the kind of song where maybe at, at five o'clock you might just put it on and oh, absolutely, de- de-stress? Absolutely. Um, I've got a little convertible that um, if I do want to de-stress, I'll pop down the top, um, put on my iPod and and play my songs off of the radio and and this would definitely be one of them. I particularly like the lyrics and and I wrote them down. We may lose or we may win, though we will never be here again. And that's you know for the Eagles that's pretty deep. Um, it's it's not just about winning or losing. It's about the moment in time. And they stabbed it with their steely knives. No, they're just the <laughs> hotel California. What could I say? Exactly. No, that that is. I mean, that we 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 as far as we know, we only get one, one life, one chance. And you know, yeah. whether we're winning or losing as we're going through it, it is about the moment in time. And and you know, sometimes as adults, and we get so wrapped up in our daily lives that we forget about the moment in time. I think that young children are always about the moment in time and i think that's my deep appreciation for grandchildren now is that they're all about the moment in time they don't care that i'm dean of a college I, all they want is they want my attention they they want it at that moment in time it's very important to them sound of your own wheels drive you crazy Lighten up while you still can Don't even try to understand Just find a place to make your stand Take it next song is i guess even more in the uh, the ideal of take it easy carefree highway by gordon lightfoot yeah let me slip away on you and um it just in uh you know i i'm not sure that it's um it's that i'm enamored with gordon lightfoot um it, it, i do have a connection with him because he's canadian and he's called the great poet of canada um but he um he grew up in aurelia Ontario. And my aunt um, taught in Aurelia, Ontario. And it wasn't until my husband was visiting with me and my aunt in Aurelia. And he asked my aunt, uh, did, she, 
that he, for years, um, growing up in Mississippi, one of his favorite songs was uh, songs by Gordon Lightfoot. And did she, did she know who Gordon Lightfoot was? And she laughed and said, oh, yes, Gordy, I taught him in the sixth grade. Um, so, you know, that kind of connection. But um, I do think um, Carefree Highway, um, to me, um, talks about uh, that there's this, there's a road, there's there's life, and you know you move on down it. Picking up the pieces of my sweet shattered dream, I wonder how the old folks are tonight. Her name was Anne, and I'll be damned if I recall her face. She left me now, knowing what to do. Carefree highway. Let me slip away on you Carefree highway You've seen better days The morning after blues From my head down to my shoes Carefree highway Let me slip away Slip away on you Now, one nation that is definitely associated with the arts throughout history are the Celts in general and um, the the Irish in particular, yes. uh, a nation of poets and uh, singers. And you just imagine anywhere you walk in Ireland that, in fact, if, for, I've never been to Ireland, but I love Celtic culture and I've just, you know, collect a lot of uh, Irish songs and stuff like that. And so the stereotype is you walk down anywhere in Ireland, you'll see nothing but people like singing and dancing. You know, it'd be like a, a high school musical country, but that's not true, apparently. But you did list as your next song by Sh- Sharon Shannon and Steve Earle Galway Girl. Right. From Galway Bay. Right. In Ireland. Right. Uh you asked me earlier if I was a happy person, and I think the Irish tend to be incredibly um, positive and happy people, even though in in the past they haven't always, you know, had the best of times. The potato famine, you know, of, uh, over a million people died in the potato famine, and a lot of people then left the country and immigrated to the United States. And so when you do visit in Ireland— um, they will almost always, whoever you run into, know somebody from the United States. They probably know geographically more about the United States than many people who live in the United States. They love Americans. That's not true of every country um, across the world. But they do love Americans because so many of them live in the United States. And and they're incredibly happy people. Um, they have a different lifestyle. Uh, they, they, the pub is, is often the center of a small town small town of 2,000 people might have four pubs and it's for them it's like going to the mall you'll see small children in the pubs Um, that's where the music is I'm sure that's where all the gossip is that's where life uh, is is lived um, out of out of out of the pubs and it's an environment that I guess because of my um, Irish roots, um, that I, I feel very comfortable in that country. I, I feel a kindredship uh, with Irish people. I took a stroll on the long walk of the day. I met a little girl and we stopped to talk of a fine soft day. And I asked you, friend, what's a fellow to do? Hair is black and her eyes are blue. And I'll be right then. I've been taking the world 
and a sawtill crime with a Galway girl. think that in traditional cultures, um, and I'm thinking all over the world, where music was more integrated into daily life, there was less of a distinction between the artist and the non-artist. Uh, one of my professors, who I still know, he's at USC now, uh, Larry Gross, was very famous because he developed this sort of description of, in the Western culture, we have the reservation theory of the artist, that artists are weird people who live over there doing their art thing and we're over here doing our normal everyday stuff but of course we see so many cultures as we said including our own just a hundred years ago where art what we consider art and, t and talent was just integrated in daily life is there something that we could should would do in our society to maybe bring the arts back into daily life i i would love to be optimistic and say that that there is i think that there should be um, I think as a country, um, we have drifted so incredibly far from um, the, the joys that other countries still appreciate and embrace in the arts. I think we've drifted so far from that. Um, there's been such a blurring of the line between the arts and entertainment, and there, and there can be. Um, and and a lot of entertainment is artistic a lot of it's not a lot of it is horrible um, but we have a citizenry now that um, really c cannot um, tell the difference between um, something that is um, valuable and I don't mean cost factor I just mean of value will last will be a great work of art in the future and why that is true um, to not being able to identify that from some uh, hip-hop rap song that uh, won't be around next week uh, so you know arts education is incredibly important uh, and as a country I, I just really hope that we will get back to an understanding of how important that is for the soul of our country and to create um, culture that will be left for many many generations I think that's the scary part is what is the culture that we're creating um, people travel to Europe or to um, to Asia, they, they, it's to see the culture. The next song you listed was, of course, the very famous uh, Simon Garfunkel, Sound of Silence. Mm -hmm. And I remember the very first time I heard that song, I was thinking, what is the sound of silence? Like, I, I, I thought it was like a philosophical question. And then I realized they're saying, in an age where there's nothing but blare of publicity and noise and everybody screaming for your attention, Silence is almost shocking, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, I, 
I think that some of the lyrics about um, to the neon gods we prayed, um, absolutely, it's the bombardment of noise, of lights, of um, visual stimulus, auditory stimulus. Um, I think that's the root of what was uh, um, meant in that song. Hello darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked away Now, I, I asked you for 10 songs, but you said, but you were naughty, as, as artists are, and you stretched the limits, and you said, no, no, I want 11, and you said, you can't touch this by M.C. Hammer. <laughs> now, a thousand years from now, when our civilization is mourned, are, do you think M.C. Hammer will be on? I think Ghostbusters was is probably, you know, if you'd ask for, like, top 10 songs of the 1980s, right? You know, yeah. Ghostbusters would be there. Um, do I think it, uh, MC Hammer, you can't touch this, will be around? No. Um, but that is truly um, a song in which I dare you not to tap your foot, not to wiggle your booty when when that song is on. I mean, it's just one of those songs that is, um, it, it just, it grabs you. And, I, you know, MC was probably the first rapper um blondie maybe some people would say but he he and and he he didn't he doesn't rap with filth you know he doesn't rap with you know putting other people down uh his his lyrics are interesting um in that song and they're so fast that you have to listen to it so many times of course now you can get on the internet and find find the lyrics um but it was a an interesting song when he created it and, and when when it came out uh, it swept the airwaves and to me it just um, sometimes in life you just in your mind think about a situation and you want to look at somebody and say you can't touch that thank you very much Carol Edwards for your leadership and for thank you. creating so many good things at Texas Tech thank you it's been a delight all right, and so we'll we'll exit on the Woody shaking talents, as you put it. And actually, she's dancing right before me in the studio. That's pretty. We'll we'll put the pictures online. MC Hammer, you can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. 
Can't touch this. You can't touch this. 